Numbers chapter 12 is where we're going to be. If you want to find your place there, don't stand yet. Numbers chapter 12. On Wednesday evenings, we have been going through a series titled Words Matter. And I'm going to finish that series this morning, bring the last uh, sermon there from that series up to this morning. And we're going to start a new series this coming Wednesday uh, evening, and we'll look forward to that. Um, when I was studying for this series, I had this idea in my mind about our communication and addressing specific topics uh, that might be a help to our church family as we looked at these ideas of, of our communication. And I wasn't sure what to title the series. And so I was explaining it to Jesse, and he said, what about words matter? And I said, perfect, let's, let's go with it. And so that's what we've been doing. You know, the Bible says in the book of John, in the beginning was the Word. And that's the very first thing when you open the book of Genesis, I think it's verse 3 or so, it says that God spake. And when He spoke with His words, things were created. Uh, life was formed and built and, and made through His Word. And so John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Bible says this, in, in, it says, uh, and the Word was with God. And then he gives this, this clarification, and the Word was God. And it's amazing to think about God's Word and what He's left for us and what we affectionately call the Bible. It gives us instruction. Uh, perhaps the most instruction of our life is knowing how to get into heaven when we die. Uh, the Bible says that it's appointed a man once to die, but after this the judgment. And God's Word gives us instruction that at that judgment, those who have not accepted Jesus Christ, the Word into their hearts will perish forever in a place called hell. And those who accept Him and believe in Him in faith, that they'll be able to live eternity in heaven. He talk about the power of words and the power of, of His Word and how it works in our life and in eternity and how much it matters. But it's not just God's Word that matters. Our words matter too. And the Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue, in the power of your tongue, uh, your communication, the things that you say or fail to say, they matter. Our words can create life just like God's words can, in a different way, but they encourage and they build and they lift up, but they can also tear down. And our words can destroy and they can hurt. The book of James teaches us that they can literally burn things to the ground. Out of our mouth, James said, comes both blessing and cursing. Out of our mouths this morning, hopefully, we used our words and our mouths to sing praise to God, um, to bless Him. Hopefully at some point this morning you've already had an opportunity to bless someone as you came in the door today, to welcome them, to ask them how they're doing. Those are words of blessing, uh, to encourage them. But out of that same mouth also comes cursing, comes things that we ought not to say, come words that can hurt and that can cut and that can destroy. And so in our text this morning we're going to read about some words from some otherwise very good people. But they hurt and they destroyed. And sometimes the words that we speak can cause irreparable damage and we can't take them back. And so stand with me this morning as we just honor God's Word. And we do that here at Eastland. Um, oftentimes when the president walks into a room, people stand in honor. And so we do something similar with God's Word here at Eastland. We stand to just honor His Word. And we'll read this story together today. Uh, and then we'll be seated for the preaching. So this story is about three siblings who no doubt loved each other, but they hit a rough patch. And in verse 1 it says, And Miriam and Aaron, they spake against 
Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Bible says, And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were above the face of the earth. And the Lord spoke suddenly unto Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth and he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So here these three siblings were, and we'll get into this here in just a few minutes, but they're frustrated with him, and they're upset, and they go to the people and they publicly begin to criticize him and say, you know, God speaks through Moses, but he speaks through us too. And God says, who gave you the right to say that? I didn't give you that right. I'll speak through who I want to speak through. And I chose Moses. And by the way, just to be clear, I didn't choose you. Like I, ch I chose this man. This is the man who I choose to speak through. Why did you speak, and we're going to look at that word a couple times, against him? So verse 11 again. My servant Moses, not so faithful, with him will I speak mouth to mouth. And apparently, not in dark speeches, similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And he departed, and the cloud departed. From off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. She has this disease instantly upon her. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us. Wherefore, we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed, when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. The Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should he, she not be ashamed seven days? In other words, if, if, if she had ashamed her own father or spoken against him, this is a custom of their time. Her father would have spit in her face, and she would have been ashamed at least seven days. So he says, Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till she was brought in again. And afterward, the people removed from Hazaroth and pitched in the wilderness of Pharaoh. Let's pray today. Lord, thank you for today. Lord, for your goodness to us, the way um, that you've already ministered to us. And Lord, I, I trust we've ministered back to you through our song and offering today. Lord, I pray that you would um, speak to our hearts once more. Lord, we'd be honored if you'd work in each of us. And help us to be better with our communication and words and the purpose for which you designed them in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I've worked at the church here 19 years this May and was an intern a few years before that. So I've been here a few, around here just a little bit. Several years ago, um, I was working with a staff member who I became very frustrated with. And the angst was in my heart, and it, it, you know, it really wasn't very justified, but I was frustrated. At the time, we were driving um, a little Honda Civic, and Sophia was one years old at the time. And 
and at the time she had a, a rear-facing car seat. So we were in the car, just Elizabeth and I, and then the back seat of the car, Sophia was in her little car seat, and she was facing out the back window. Well, Elizabeth and I are driving around town, and I, and I am talking about this individual, and I start to get frustrated, and I, I begin to openly criticize him. Uh, and, and I look back at that. It, it's, it, it, was, it was my insecurities, my jealousy, lots of things that were wrong in my heart. But I was, just, I was just criticizing him and talking bad about him to my wife. And it was just the privacy of the two of us. And Sophia was, of course, too little to understand any of those words. But I was criticizing his interactions with me, with others, his marriage, his attitude, the way he preached, the way he led, parented, clothes he wore, the way he breathed, the way he chewed, the way he walked. I mean, you name it. And I was just, I was just let it all out. You know, I'm just, I'm just having a heyday here. And I told you it was a small car, right? And Sophia was facing backwards, which means I couldn't see her. And after several minutes of ranting, and it's just letting loose with my tongue, criticizing, words of cursing, not that I curse, but that I, there were words of, uh, James Street, never mind, all right. <laughs> I started looking for my phone, and I couldn't find it, and so I finally cranked my head over the back seat, and uh, Sophia had my phone, and she's gnawing on it, you know, slobbers dripping down it. I don't know how she got it, but somehow in that little car, she had little hands got it, and she's just sitting there chewing on it. So I grab the phone from her, I wipe it off, and I don't know how, but she had called this man. <laughs> and, and his name was on the phone, and it was leaving him a voice message. And she had recorded over seven minutes of my conversation with my wife. You know, if you're smart, you know you can like delete voicemails off other people's phones, but when you're sinning, your brain leaves you. And I panicked, and I just hung up on him, and left this entire conversation recorded on his phone. I was ashamed. Um, I was embarrassed. I was I was mortified out of my mind. Um, and you know, the worst part about it was, for a long time. I was more afraid of him hearing my words than I was God hearing them. Now you think about that, because that's how we are too. We're more afraid of what others hear than what God hears. You know, the story today is about three siblings. They loved each other. The Talmud says that Miriam was the older sister to Aaron and Moses. So the Talmud says that, that, uh, that Miriam would have been three years older than Aaron and six years older than Moses. So she's the older sister. And she and her brother, well, they did what I did. Um, they started to criticize their other brother, someone that they loved and, and cared about, and they shouldn't have been saying these things to or about. And they start to do it publicly. But like me in the car, God heard their words, and he heard our words too. From what we understand in the Bible, Miriam was probably never married. She was very committed to helping the nation of Israel, to helping her brothers. We first read about her in, in Exodus chapter 2. The Hebrews, of course, they were enslaved in Egypt, and um, they were multiplying rapidly. And so Pharaoh gets concerned. He's concerned about an uprising, perhaps, from them. And so he orders that all male children that are born be thrown into the river and that they die. 
and so this woman, Jochebed, she has a baby. Of course, there's Miriam, is, you know, would have been probably about six years old, and Aaron maybe three years old at the time. And, and she has another baby boy, and she panics, and she's got this little baby who would, who would turn out to be named Moses. And, and she doesn't know what to do with them. She doesn't want to throw them in the river. So she puts them in a basket. She puts them in the river, and she tells her little daughter, watch the basket. The basket floats down the river, and God would save this man because he had plans for this man to save a lot of other people. And it floats into the arms of Pharaoh's daughter, the princess of Egypt, and she sees the baby. And Miriam, in that moment, she's decisive, she's quick, she's assertive. She goes to the lady, and she says to her, hey, do you like that baby? I could find you a Hebrew midwife to nurse that baby for you. And you talk about the, the, the geniusness of that moment. And so the, the, the woman says, sure. And so she goes and gets the mother. And the mother was able to wean that baby. Well, we know the story from Exodus, how Moses grew up in Egypt. And uh, he eventually lived there for 40 years. He killed somebody, had to go into exile, was raised on the, in the wilderness for the next 40 years he spent there. And he, in the wilderness he met and he married a Midianite woman named Zipporah. And with her he had children. Scholars believe, as we read this text this morning in Numbers chapter 12, that this woman wasn't the same woman as Zipporah, that Zipporah would have probably died at this point. We're not sure, but she probably would have died. And Moses remarried another woman. Don't know her name. All we know about her from the text is that she was an Ethiopian. And other scholars say that it would have, she would have been a Cushite as well. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, there would have been other groups of people that were also enslaved that would have accompanied them out of Egypt. So the Egyptians, of course, had had the Hebrews in, in slavery, but other people they had conquered or pulled in. So there was a, multiple different groups of people that when Moses led them out of Egypt, they would have accompanied them and said, we're getting out too. And probably among those people would have been this woman. And she was, as the Bible instructs us this morning, an Ethiopian. It's clear from the text that Miriam and Aaron did not like this woman, and they were not happy that Moses had married her. Married her. It's hard to know why. Perhaps they were upset that she just wasn't in Hebrew. Or maybe this woman's personality challenged them in some way. Maybe she made Moses happy and distracted him from his job just a little bit. We aren't told anything about her other than this. They didn't like her. And instead of dealing with it, they made their complaint public. And they began to openly criticize Moses. And they openly criticized his wife now. And they began to erode public trust in him and what other people thought of Moses. And it was becoming a problem. Evidently from the text, Miriam was the one with the biggest angst. And scholars and commentators on this story believed that the real issue here was her growing jealousy of Moses' position and influence. See, she was the big sister. She was the one who had rescued him and had saved his life as a little baby. She couldn't find fault necessarily with how he was leading the people. So instead, she chose to criticize his wife. And so rather than dealing with her jealousy and with her envy, and with her pride, rather than deal with the real issue that was at hand, she criticized his wife. And she created a diversion from the real issues that were inside of her own heart. She didn't go to God with the matter. 
She didn't go to Moses. She ran her mouth. And out of the mouth that James said God produced and made to bring blessing and to build, out of her mouth instead came cursing and destruction and hurt and pain in the form of criticism. But see, her criticism was this smokescreen because she didn't want to deal with her character problems. And I want you to know this morning, God saw and God sees through smoke screens. Verse 4, I want you to look there again with me. The Bible says, And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And the three came out. The Bible says suddenly. Those of you that are dads or moms may know this this morning, or if you had a dad or a mom, it's kind of like when mom or dad says, hey, you guys get out here now. Especially when they use middle names. It gets real, real fast, right? Get out here now. And then God says to them as they assemble in front of him, in verse 5, Lord came down in a pillar and he stood in the door of the tabernacle and he called them and they came forth. And he says, hear now my words. If there's a prophet among you, I'll let you know. I'll instruct you, and I have, I have told you. And he says this, he says, verse 8, With him will I speak mouth to mouth, and not dark speeches, as a symbol to the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Let me ask this question today, what is criticism? If we look at the, at the dictionary definition of criticism, it's defined this way, it's the expression of disapproval of someone or something based on perceived faults or mistakes. We could be quick to defend being critical of others because criticism plays an important role in our lives. And, and we know that. Um, it has its place. We need others to correct us, to instruct us, to guide us with what something, sometimes is helpful instruction or confrontation. There's an element of preaching that would be considered by some, maybe even critical to a point, and there's a place for that. As a parent, I have to look at the behavior of my children and sometimes criticize or find, I find a negative fault by the dictionary definition, I find this negative fault, and then I have to work at helping them correct that fault. I have that same responsibility as a friend. You would have that responsibility, the Bible instructs us of that. Um, it, certainly in the role that I play here at this church, there's an element of that that comes with the job description that I, I have here. Criticism can be helpful, but the point is that we use it to help correct, to help guide, to work toward a solution. But that's not the type of criticism that we're talking about today, is it? And it's not the type of criticism that we often employ. We are talking about the kind of criticism that doesn't have an objective other than to tear down. Not to build up, not to help, not to say, hey, here's a problem, and now let me help you fix it. Or let's work towards a solution here. Criticism tears down, and that's really all it's good for, tearing down. Could Miriam change Moses' wife with her words? And the answer is no. He married the woman. Like, nothing's going to change that now. So what was her objective in this moment? What was she trying to accomplish? Any good here? And the, and the answer, of course, is no. The only thing she could do was tear down his character, 
tear down his role, tear down his leadership, tear down his position. And the Lord says in verse 8, and, he, and, and again, we read it again in verse 2, he says, wherefore were you not afraid to speak? And then we read that word against. Because that's what criticism does. It just is against. There's no construction. There's no help. There's nothing good that it provides. It's just against. And it's a sin. And it always is. And that's the problem because it's just against. I want us to understand a few truths this morning about criticism. And the first is simply this. Criticism reveals more about your flaws than it does the other person. When we're critical of others, Miriam here is critical of Moses. All she was doing was revealing her problems, not Moses' problems. It wasn't illegal to marry an Ethiopian woman. She was revealing her own character flaws. It's Oscar Wilde who's credited for saying, criticism is the only reliable form of autobiography. <laughs> Isn't that great? In other words, when I say something negative, when I'm critical of my mouth, all I'm really doing is telling, more, telling you more about myself than the other person's flaws and faults. It reveals more about the critic than the one being criticized, specifically their character. Even if what you're saying is 100% true, and frequently it's not 100% true, how you say it, why you say it, and who you say it to matters. See, criticism more often than not comes from a heart that's sick with sin. It's motivated from a base in the heart the seed of our emotions and mind, our soul, it comes from sin that's deeply embedded within. Sins like this, we're jealous of them. Maybe they have an advantage that we don't have, or a possession, or they get some type of special attention or position. And so we're envious. And instead of dealing with our envy, we tear down what they have because we're jealous. It could be that we're prideful. From our perspective, they are outshining us, and it hurts our ego and our pride. And so, I'm going to criticize the house you live in, or maybe the car you drive, for the only reason that it's nicer than mine. And I'm concerned about how others perceive my success. Or maybe it's my pride because you hurt my feelings, and so I'm going to criticize you because you hurt my pride or you corrected me, or maybe it's because we're insecure. Maybe that person's better than us in some area, and they do things we never could, so we criticize them. And their success makes us feel bad about ourselves, and we think if we tear them down that we'll feel, feel better. But the problem is this, you never will feel better. Speaking critical of other people will only ever make you feel worse, because it's sin, and it's wrong, and the Lord hears it. Other reasons would be like we're ignorant. We criticize from a distance things we know nothing about. If you want to know how to raise your children perfectly, ask someone who doesn't have them. <laughs> you know, Elizabeth and I, when we were young married, you know, we'd go through a store, and you hear that kid screaming two aisles over, and, you know, we would say things. Well, not her. I'm the, I'm the center in the group. I'd say things like, man, if that was my kid... X, Y, Z. Like, this is how you fix it, right? And then we had kids. And you're sitting there like, oh my goodness, give, give them what they want, you know? I mean, just... 
We're Americans. We don't negotiate with terrorists. We get over this. You know, you can criticize a lot about the church and what takes place here. But if you had context, you might understand some things better. You can criticize your spouse, your wife, your husband. The truth is you don't live in their shoes. And unless you ask, there's a lot you don't know. You could be so close to someone and still not know how their day is and the weight and burdens that are in their heart. See, criticism reveals your heart. It shows to other people how weak you are. Secondly, this morning, when you criticize, without checking yourself, you form a nasty and sinful habit. When we indulge in criticism, it's a really hard pattern to break out of. See, fault-finding is easy. Almost, it almost takes no effort at all. You could take a normal, relatively good person and just pick them apart. And we do it all the time, especially with those we're closest to. Some of you have said or, or even thought these things in contempt about your spouse. I don't like the way you walk or stand. Pull your shoulders back. I don't like the way you chew. I don't like the jokes you tell. don't like how you laugh. It's annoying. I don't like the way you snore. I don't like the way you breathe at the office. I don't like the way you run meetings. I don't have any real plan here. It's a toxic work environment. The pictures they post to Instagram just prove how self-absorbed they are. Can you believe the way they raise their kids? Just put them in jail now. That's where they're headed. <laughs> Do you see the way they pulled out of the church parking lot today? No regard for others. Do you see they parked in the upper lot? <laughs> Can't believe they went there on vacation. <laughs> There's no way they can afford that. I bet they have real money problems. Look, finding fault is easy. We can literally pick each other apart if we choose to. Fault finding and criticism. Well, that's what Satan does. So Revelation chapter 12 tells us what ultimately happens to Satan. And Pastor preached through that series recently. But it also gives us some insight into his daily activities that he's doing right now. And so I'm going to read this passage. If you want to turn there, you can quickly. But Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says, And the great dragon was cast out. I love, love the adjectives here. Great dragon, the old serpent, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Okay, all of that's going to come. And that's something for us to look forward to. But it hasn't happened yet. And so what's he doing right now? Because John's speaking of future tense. It's this. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. What's he doing? He's looking for reasons to keep you out of heaven. He's looking to criticize your life. He looks for the sin and the fault in your heart and in your life, and he's highlighting it before God. He's accusing. He's criticizing. He's speaking evil of you. He looks for what's wrong, and he reveals it to others. And I'm going to tell you this morning, anyone can find fault and problems. It's in our sin nature to be really good at it. It's what Satan's really good at. But be careful. 
Because the more you do it, the easier and easier it becomes. And the more you indulge that sin in your heart, the more you form a pattern of just by default looking at people, looking at institutions, looking at everything in your life, and being critical in your heart. It becomes the first thing you do when you think about others. And your criticism, your jealousy, your insecurity, your pride, your envy, your hurt will corrupt all your communication. It'll corrupt your words. See, criticism reveals your heart. It becomes a habit. Criticism will always do more damage than you intend. James says it's like a fire. It'll just spread. And there's nothing you can do about it except watch it burn. People who are the object of your criticism carry it in their hearts for a long time. If you've been the object of criticism, you know how it hurts. And those are words you never forget. And they're hard to let go of. And we should. And this sermon's not about how to deal with criticism. This sermon is about not being a critic. But when you're on the side of it, it hurts badly. And we carry that with us. I want you to turn this morning to Galatians chapter 5, if you're able. Galatians chapter 5. And I want you to look there at a verse with me. And while you're doing that, Nathan, would you come help me with an illustration real quick? Do you mind? Okay. I want you to hold this apple. It's clean. Okay? Okay. All right. Just hold it for a second. Do you have braces? Okay, good. All right. Okay, everybody there? Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. The Bible says this, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And James teaches us, if you don't love your brother, if you don't love your neighbor, then you hate God. And so he just takes it all down to like this. Hey, love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, boy, you can live a really good, productive Christian life and look forward to some really cool rewards in heaven. Like, that's the goal. Love others the way we love ourselves, okay? And then he gives us this, this, this verse. But, okay, this is the antithesis of love, loving your brother, your husband, your wife, your spouse, your children, those around you, those in this world. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one another of one another. Okay, what's the point here? The words we speak are not neutral. They're either good or they are bad. They're not gray. It's not gray matter here. Like the words you speak, they're good, or the words you speak, they're bad. And he says, be careful. Okay, Nathan, take a big bite out of that apple. Would you do that? Okay, this is a good, perfectly fine apple, okay? Let's, all right, sh- turn that around, okay? I want you to hold that apple right there. Does it taste okay? Okay. My wife picked that out, so I'm making sure. All right. Now, Nathan, I want you to put that bite back. <laughs> is it still in your mouth? It is? <laughs> you didn't swallow it? Consume it. Okay. Okay. Okay, now put it back. Okay, can he put it back? And of course, it's rhetorical. He can't do it. Okay, th- thank you, Nathan. You may have that apple. Don't want that back, all right? Okay. 
This is, a, this is a word picture from this text. You use your words, and you bite, okay? And you devour one another. Okay, what happens when we bite and devour? Well, Nathan didn't really devour, but he did bite the apple, okay? He consumed it. And what was whole can never be made whole again. Now, it could be forgiven. We can move on. But there's scars there, and there's pain. And what was it caused by? By a bite. By our words. Okay, so in our marriages, your words could be destroying the intimacy in your marriage. You're consuming your spouse, literally. You're destroying their self-esteem. You're, you're eating the intimacy between you when you're critical of them. You're, you're hurting them, and you're hurting yourself too. You're consuming it. You're biting and you're devouring, and sometimes you can't put back that which you bite and devour. Your words or your tone even could be building a wall between you and your children. And I don't just mean children in your home, but that's certainly true. I mean, adult children too. We can be so condescending and, and, and belittling to them. If your words, your tone are harsh, be careful. Because you might just be building distance between you and them. It's not automatic. You don't just get to say what you want just because you're a dad or you're a mom or because you're their friend. You gotta be careful with our words because our words can bite and they can consume and devour other people. And it can't be put back. Your words at work or in your neighborhood or online could be damaging your ability to witness because people can't get over how critical you are. And you're ruining your own testimony, pot potentially consuming the souls of lost people. You gotta be careful with this. And God looks down at Miriam and Aaron and he says, what you're saying, it's not okay because you're biting and you're devouring. This is my man and I'm going to stand up for him. So stop. And you're going to have to pay a price here. So how do we stop criticizing? Well, I think, I think number one this morning, and we'll cover these points quickly. I know I'm out of time. Be afraid to do it. Just have a fear inside of you that God's listening or that your daughter might have your cell phone, right? <laughs> the Bible says in verse 9, the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. You speak words against others and God's anger is kindled against you. But that's something to fear. Criticism of other people invites the Lord's anger. Miriam's criticism wasn't just against Moses. It was against God, his father. And that's who it's always against. Because the other people in your life, they're God's daughter, they're God's son, they're God's creation. Be careful who you criticize. Because they have a creator and a maker who's paying attention to your words. Be afraid. Number two, understand the consequences. When you hurt other people, you hurt yourself. Criticism never makes you look smarter. It makes you look insecure and mean-spirited. It puts you on the outside, and you will find yourself on an island of your own making, rejected by other people. And that's where Miriam found herself 
outside the camp, suffering from leprosy. And you may not have leprosy, but you're going to be marked. In the minds and the hearts of other people, you're marked. And you'll be rejected and isolated too. And it's because you made yourself that person. You put yourself on that island. And Miriam was shamed. Her pride was no doubt very damaged. Prior to this incident, we had read a lot about Miriam in the Old Testament. Songs that she sang. Acts that she did. The Bible says she was a prophetess. She had done all of these things. And after this incident, the only thing we ever read about her again is her death. And that's it. You might put yourself on the shelf. Be careful. You bite and devour. Some things can't ever be taken back. Number three, choose to use your words to build instead of cut down. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. Now think about that. Here's a man, here's a woman, here's a boy, girl, and they use their words to pierce like a sword. If I had a sword today, duh, bah, hurting you, hurting you, hurting you. And there is that speaketh that way. That's how they use their words. But... The tongue of the wise is health. It builds. It helps. It encourages. It sees the good. So who do you want to be known for? What type of person do you want to be? A critic whose words cut or a person who edifies and builds people up? See, instead of picking people apart for what they aren't, you can choose to see what they're good at. So I have a child who's messy, but he's really compassionate and thoughtful. And I get to focus, as I raise him, on what I want to focus on. I'm saying I'm not going to leave other things unaddressed, but as I speak to him, I can tear him down, or I can see the good and I can build the good up. Your roommate may wear weird clothes and eat weird food but they're a loyal friend. Your wife may not be the most organized, but she may be a really good mom. Your husband may not mow the yard perfectly, but he provides and he comes home to you. See, Jesus said, why beholdest thou the mote that's in thy brother's eye? But you're not considering the beam in your own. We have enough to worry about ourselves. If I want to criticize you, you criticize me, we bite and devour each other, and we consume one another, and all we have is pain and difficulty. Use your words to build and to encourage. See, in our story this morning, Miriam needs to let God worry about Moses' life and his wife, the direction he was going. And you need to have the kind of confidence in God's sovereignty and faith in him that he can work in other people too. So if you're going to help them, help them. But if you're going to run your mouth and tear them down, then zip it. Use your words to build and not destroy. Ephesians 4.29 challenges us with this thought. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. It doesn't belong there. What does belong there? Well, that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearer. Whoever's hearing your words, whether it's your spouse in a little car, no one else can hear, 
or whether it's someone here at this church that you're sitting in a corner with talking to, or someone you're having coffee with this week, or coworker, let your words minister grace to that hearer. Be careful with the words you say, because life and death are in the power of the tongue, and we can do better. Let me ask you to stand this morning, if you would.